today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie First this morning, Minister for Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth, Roderick O'Gorman. You're very welcome to the programme. Thank morning, you for Claire. coming into the studio this morning. Now, let's start with the fact that for many there seems to be something really chilling happening in the country at the moment. A notion that you can set fire to a building following no more than a rumour that it's going to be used for a reception centre and get away with it. Well, I think you're right in terms of describing that these actions are chilling uh, and uh, uh, they're, they're criminal, they're intensely dangerous, they involve the damage of uh, private property, now public property in the context of Crooks Ling. Um, but I, I am confident, uh, having spoken to the Garda Commissioner last week, I am confident that there is detailed investigations in terms of the uh, arson attacks that have taken place uh, in recent months. We saw a number of people arrested last week in terms of the attack in Ring's End uh, and I hope to see um, um, you know files prepared for the Director of Public Prosecutions there and in other areas because it's absolutely essential that crimes of this magnitude do not go un- unpunished. We talk about arson but the people before Profit TD, Paul Murphy stood up in the door and described this uh, pattern as a campaign of far-right terrorism. What do you say? I, I, look, the, the, the magnitude, the seriousness of these crimes cannot be uh, overstated. Uh, and uh, as I said last week, it is a miracle that no one has been injured or no one has been killed in, the terms of, uh, in terms of what's happened so far. And that's why I think it is so important that we give Angarda Siakana the space to undertake detailed investigations, which will allow them bring forward successful prosecutions so we can very clearly see po- p- people put in prison for these criminal acts. Do they need more than the space though? Because we heard on this programme from Conor Gallagher from the Irish Times, he's the security uh, correspondent, that in other jurisdictions where this is treated as terrorism and it's dealt with by counter-terrorism units and under that legislation, that there is far more success when it comes to prosecutions. Mm. Well, in terms of my engagement with Angarda Siakona, as I said, I've spoken to the Commissioner about it previously, but I spoke to him about it last week. I'm confident that the Angarda are putting in place the full resources that they need um, to uh, fully investigate and bring forward successful prosecutions. And I've no doubt that if the Guardi at any stage indicated that they needed additional support in terms of these investigations, I've no doubt those resources would be forthcoming from Minister McEntee and uh, from across government. Okay, because we, what we've been told <coughs> is that they're being investigated locally by the Guardi, each particular incident. The Sunday Independent reported yesterday that they're invest- Guardi are investigating whether they have links to organised gangs. What can you tell us about that? What have you been told? Well, I'm 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 not going to speak in terms of any details of ongoing investigations, and I'm sure you, you you'll understand why. Um, I think, as you know, these uh, attacks have taken place across a number of locations in the country, and I think in the first instance, obviously, it is local guardy with local knowledge in terms of uh, people who might be involved in these sort of instances who can uh, mm. be be be, uh, be be in the position to bring forward prosecutions. But, but we know that organised cr- crime is investigated mm-hmm. by. Sp- Specialised guard the units, yeah. n- not by local guards. Yeah, and I've no doubt that if uh, local guardy feel they need the additional support uh, and feel they need to look at some of these. Uh, cases, not just on a local lens, but in terms of a national lens as well, if they 
have a suggestion that there are links between various attacks, I have no doubt that Angarda Siakona will look to the more regional and the more national, um, you know, investigative bodies that, that exist. But are you, are you saying you're not prepared to tell us whether you have been told that there are links between these events? Um, I, I look, I, I, I don't think it's useful to discuss uh, the details of really significant investigations on, on, on the radio. Do you believe it would help if the hate speech legislation was enacted now to mitigate against the threat of this happening again? I don't want to make uh, an immediate link between the hate speech legislation and arson attacks, but I do think it is important that we see the hate speech and hate crime legislation passed. We know in 2022, for example, there were almost 500 hate crimes reported in our country. And right now we're one of the few European countries that doesn't have specific legislation to deal with hate crime, uh, crimes on the basis of someone's someone's skin colour, crimes on the basis of someone's gender, on, on the basis of their... Uh, their disability or being a, a member of, of the travelling community. So these crimes are taking place and I think it's important, particularly in terms of sentencing, where someone is individually singled out because they're black or because they're a traveller. I think it's important mm-hmm. that the courts can take this into account in sentencing, okay. which is what that legislation proposes. Let's talk in more general terms about immigration policy because there seems to be emerging a really nuanced position from the public, from voters in opinion polls. People realise the value of those who are coming here, the Irish were immigrants ourselves. Um, A large majority of people, though, seem to favour a more closed immigration policy to reduce the number of people coming to Ireland. So I suppose what you have there is proof, perhaps, that the government has failed to communicate and resource your policies. We have to remember that we're in an almost unique situation in terms of migration over the last two years, responding to the twin uh, crises of the war in Ukraine and the larger increase in international protection applications here and across Europe. it's almost the second anniversary of the Ukraine war and I think sometimes we can become a little numbed to what it represented. The biggest movement of people across the European continent since the Second World War and Ireland played a really important role, uh, uh, the same as other European countries in meeting the needs of those fleeing that war. 100,000 people came here across the last two years and we're accommodating about 75,000 Ukrainians right now. That of course has had a huge impact. That of course is something that Irish people see in their, in their daily lives lives in terms of the you know many communities that are making a huge effort to support Ukrainians and at the same time we're seeing that increase in international protection applications again driven by wars driven by conflict in the Middle East in uh, in, in North and, and, and Central Africa so it's in that context that we have to recognise the increases we've seen over the last mm. two years we're making changes on the Ukraine side now which I think uh, is already seeing a significant decrease in the number of people seeking temporary protection from Ukraine so arrivals are down. Arrivals from Ukraine are down. And I think when we bring in the new system later on this month, I think we'll, we'll see that trend continuing. In terms of international protection, we know that the system of processing applications and the system of accommodating people, that, was, that wasn't fit for purpose even before the current crisis. So the, myself and Minister McEntee are working on, on twin tracks. First of all, to speed up the processing of people's application when they come here so they can more quickly get a determination, do they get refugee status, do they not? And on my side, 
better accommodation and state-owned accommodation because we are almost entirely reliant on the private sector in terms of the provision of accommodation and that's why I'm bringing forward proposals that we would have a core of state-owned accommodation for people while their application is being processed. How many centres would you have? I know initially <coughs> before the war in Ukraine it was six, wasn't it, in, in the report that you had commissioned and Catherine Day says now you need between 10 and 15. And that would, six was when we were looking at a system that would have about three and a half thousand people come yeah. through it every year. We know for the last two years, 2022, we had 13,000 seek international protection. 2023, we had 12,000. So it is, uh, we have to have a system that accommodates greater of number of people coming here seeking international protection. So we- I'll, I'll set out in detail uh, when I bring forward the paper the, the, the numbers of people we'll be looking mm-hmm. to accommodate on a yearly basis within the system. Um, but as I say, we, we need the accommodation working in tandem with the better processing and just have to recognise the work Minister McEntee has done to very significantly put in resources and speed up the processing mm. of people's applications. She said yesterday, speaking on the, the week in politics, that she wants to crack down on people who are using the international protection system for economic reasons. And that is the nub of it, really, from what we've seen in the polls as well, that you need to show people there's a difference between people who are coming here to work and people who are coming here to seek asylum. Mm. Do you feel that you have done that job adequately? Well, international protection has to be for people fleeing war, fleeing conflict, fleeing violence. That's what it was de- designed for after the Second World War. That's what, it, what, what, that's what it delivers. It delivers protection for those people. We know there are people uh, fleeing their country for economic reasons. Uh, Irish people did it for generations and, and it's happening elsewhere as well. Uh, I don't judge anybody for doing that. I don't judge anybody for wanting to make a better life for themselves. But if they're coming to Ireland, there are other mechanisms in terms of work Permits and the like. So the they should inter- not. They should not be using the asylum system. No, ab- absolutely not. The interna- international protection system has to be protected for those seeking international protection. Um, uh, and that's just to be clear. That's always been mm-hmm. my position. That's always been the government's. But are position. there people here seeking protection as asylum seekers who are coming here for a better life? We know about. 40% of people who go through the international protection system uh, are able to prove that they uh, are being persecuted and, and, and they meet the criteria. And about 60% of people don't meet those those particular criteria. Um, Minister McEntee and indeed the government have taken action over the last number of uh, uh, over the last year to make sure that the system is focused on those who need it. That's why we've brought in the safe country list. Uh, these are countries where you would think initially maybe there isn't a conflict, there isn't violence uh, and there'd be a, a bigger question about why somebody is fleeing from those countries but also crucially still allowing that individual assessment of someone's application because whereas a country may be generally at peace, there may be particular minority groups, uh, maybe um, political or religious dissidents who are actually being targeted. So it is important that we have a system that quickly processes people's applications but maintains that individual examination of a person's situation. Let's um, move to the referendums now that people are being asked to decide on on the 8th of March. So starting with why people should vote yes 
press to change the wording to the state recognises the family whether founded on marriage or on durable relationships. Explain that to us, why people you believe Mm. should vote yes. So right now, uh, our constitution, the only families our constitution recognises are families that are based on marriage. Uh, And that excludes tens of thousands of relationships from that recognition. Uh, 42% of children now born in Ireland are born to parents who aren't married to, to each other. So immediately those relationships aren't classified as a family. And all of us know people who uh, we instinctively in our heads think of as families, but who our constitution doesn't recognise. And by creating this term of durable relationships, we're allowing for the recognition of one parent families, of cohabiting couples living together, whether they have children or not, and ensuring that they also see themselves recognised within our constitution and can receive the protections of Article 41. What is a durable relationship? Durable relationship is a a relationship of of, of strength, a relationship of stability, a relationship of commitment. um, And it's a relationship that fits in with the wider description of a family in Article 41, something that's the fundamental unit group of society. So ultimately the courts will be left to decide this? So of course the courts have a role in in interpreting any element of the constitution, but we're very clear the types of families that are excluded right now and the types of families we want to include in the constitution are one-parent families, are cohabiting couples and, and any children they may have. What about three adults then? living together who claim family status? No, that's that's not contained within this definition because that isn't a fundamental unit group of society. The understanding of durable relationship has to be understood within that wider description of the family in Article 41, which, as I say, is a fundamental unit group of society and three adults living together doesn't match mm-hmm. that. Because you could have situations arising somebody dies they've no will and is there now or will there be a legal basis for that person's best friend their uh, mistress their closest work colleague to argue that we had a durable relationship therefore I am entitled to inherit from this person No because ultimately we're talking about families here and those relationships they might be you know good and strong relationships but they're not that sort of family relationships that we're looking to protect within the constitution as I say a one parent family family, cohabiting couple, those are the types of relationships that right now are excluded from constitutional protection and those are the types of relationship we're looking to encompass within Mm -hmm. that constitutional. You'll know that Senator Michael McDool is advocating for a no vote Mm -hmm. on this and he asks where is the justification for changing the constitution here because he points to the recent Supreme Court decision on John O'Mara and people might be familiar with John O'Mara's situation where his partner died, they weren't married and the Supreme Court agreed with him that he should be entitled to the widower's pension. That decision has already been made by the court. So why do we need to do this? Well, what, what the court, Supreme Court said very clearly in that case is that uh, Mr. Uh, O'Mara and his late partner were not a family in our constitution. Two Irish citizens who'd lived together, who'd raised children together and were not a family. So when Senator MacDool asks, what's the justification? Um, I'm lucky right now... Uh, I'm married, I'm in a a constitutional family. But if you talk to the tens of thousands of Irish people who are Irish citizens who have these long-term relationships, but right now aren't included, I I think they're the best people to talk about what the justification is. I don't know if you heard the Shannon debates, but uh, my colleague, Senator Roisin Garvey, Senator Lynn Ruan, two uh, women, two mothers who aren't uh, married, and they talked about what it meant that their relationship with their child or their children 
aren't recognised as families within, you know, the fundamental document of our constitution. It means something to people to be excluded. Mm -hmm. And as I say, I knew what it was like to be excluded from the definition of marriage prior to the marriage referendum in 2015. So I, I can only, I suppose, speak to, to, to the, the, my experiences back then. But there are tens of thousands of relationships that we instinctively would would classify as fa- uh, as families in our head but, people but just don't might, uh, get that protection I hear what right you're now. saying but people mightn't be comfortable with the lack of a clear definition around a durable relationship or what is a family now under this proposal well, I, well uh, to be honest I, I think Irish people recognise what a family is um, and I think what I found when I go out indoors is our people are actually shocked that these relationships are excluded from our constitution right now. But do you have to be in a relationship for a year or more than a year? Do you need to have children or not? You know, what is it? No, you, you, you don't need to have children. A cohabiting couple living together fit within this definition. For how of, long, of, 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 How of, long of, does the relationship of, 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 of a durable relationship? We have to recognise that our, our constitution is, it's, it's a... Uh, you don't put lists into your constitution. You put in you put in ideas, and we're putting in this concept of the durable relationship to recognise that there are families outside of a marital family, families of where where the relationship is as one of strength, one of stability, um, but where leaving our constitutional definition just that the marital family leaves these families excluded Mm -hmm. and that's why we're putting in place this idea of a durable relationship that we can actually include these within the protections of Article 41. So the burden then goes to the courts. The courts will have to decide what is a durable relationship? Can you define my relationship for me? That is the question that people are going to have to have answered by the courts. The courts will, will of course, ultimately uh, play a role here. Um, you know, there are very few times where a case, uh, I suppose the issues that Article 41 apply to will, will require someone you know, needing recourse to uh, to 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 the courts, but ultimately, as with all parts of our constitution, uh, the courts play a role here, and we see the courts. You know, even in the O'Mara case that you you spoke about earlier mm-hmm. on, the courts were very clear that their job isn't to to provide big, you know, dramatic expect uh, ec- expansions. They said very clearly in that case, and I think if you actually read the judgment of the court, you can see they're a little bit uncomfortable, but they're very clear. The definition of the family in the Irish constitution right now is the family based on marriage okay. and the only people who can change that is the Irish electorate if they vote yes on let's, the 8th of March. Let's come to the other referendum then, the Women in the Home Amendment and you're asking voters to replace that with an obligation on the state to support care within the families and the big fear here is that your department doesn't want to carry the can into the future for people's long-term care. That's the fear we have heard expressed from people who are very concerned about this. Well, I'd, I'd absolutely, you know, re- reject that 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 argument. What we're doing is looking to take out that very outdated language that exists in our constitution, and, and that phrase, uh, 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 the neglect of a mother's duties in the home, which I think all of us at this stage wouldn't be be comfortable with setting out there in the fundamental document of our state, but. 
and we had a long debate about this, do you just delete or do you replace it with something? And we made a very clear statement that we wanted to recognise care that takes place, the care that mams and dads uh, uh, provide for their kids, the care that adult children provide for their elderly parents, the, provide fam- the care family members provide for somebody with a disability. But we didn't just want to recognise that care, we wanted to place a greater onus, a greater obligation on the state to do more to support that care. And that's why we've put in place this obligation. The state shall strive in terms of the provision of care. It's not an care. obligation, though, is it? It is. Yeah, it's a clear... You're asking the state to strive to support carers. And Tom Clonan, who's looked after his son for more than 20 years with his family, he's very concerned about that. He's saying that indemnifies the state against any legal obligation to provide support for him and for his family. Well, look, I, I have great respect for Tom in terms of his, his advocacy. I've li- listened to him closely since he joined the, the Shannon and he speaks. Uh, very powerfully in terms of where the state have, has let families like his down. But respectfully, I think he's wrong on this. This is not about the state stepping away. This is about the state being more involved. This is about a clear legal obligation for the first time put in our constitution to support care. Uh, and I think that's something that's needed because um, it is an obligation that will apply to this government and to future governments, recognising we need to do more also recognising that that can't happen all at once because there are so many areas whether it's in the area of disability, whether it's in the area of supporting children, of supporting the elderly, there are so many areas where the state needs to do more. Uh, and what we're putting in place is this progressive obligation that the state needs to continue to do more and putting something in our constitution. It has an impact. And I, I suppose I've been in the privileged position now for, for three and a half years, being in cabinet, being in budgetary discussions where you have a constitutional obligation, it does have an impact. It shapes the discussions that take mm. place. And if there's a yes vote on the 8th of March, that idea of the state doing more to support care will have an impact and, and, and will have a, okay, a, an I just effect. think people might struggle to see where the obligation is when the language is strive to support. Well, it's shall strive and shall is a mandatory obligation. It's a, in, in legal terms, if you put shall into a piece of legislation, that's a a clear direction to the government to do something. The alternative is may, where you're given, you know, the, the government some flexibility. But we placed shall in there because it is a clear direction to the state that it must continue to do more. It must continue to increase the level of support it gives to family care. And that will have an impact, as I say, in, uh, in, in, in cabinet discussions, in budgetary negotiations. But it will also as with the, uh, the, the, the article on the family, it will also be ultimately interpreted by the courts and the courts will ultimately say if the state has done enough in terms of meeting that new obligation. OK, Minister, we'll leave it there for now. Minister Roderick O'Gorman, thank you very much for coming in and we'll be hearing the other side of that discussion a little later on in the programme. Right now, though, we'll take a quick break. Text 51551. Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.